listening to Best Served Cold, a Born Millennials podcast. The Australian true crime podcast where we drink wine and talk about crime. Formerly Egypt's 36th most popular true crime podcast, hosted by Tama J and Laura Lees. Sit down, relax, grab a drink and enjoy this week's episode. Hi. Ho, ho, ho. Ho, ho, ho. Merry it's Christmas. It's going to be a sherry Christmas. <laughs> What the fuck? I don't even know where that came from. That wow. just that came from a really deep place within nice. myself. Yeah, that, I can tell you were holding that one in as well. I really wasn't. It came out oh, really? like share <laughs> overtook my body for Fantastic. a second. Yeah, great. Welcome back to the podcast. We Welcome told back. you we'd be back, didn't we? Yeah, we, we are in fact back. Um, uh, made easier because we are in lockdown 2.0 mm-hmm. uh, here in Sydney. So, we have literally no excuse. We... Well, I mean, we still have to work. Yeah, we still have to work, but so, I mean, we're, there's not much else we can do apart yeah. from stuff inside our house. That's very true. We're going back to our roots. We started this show in, in That's lockdown. That's true. Now We've we're come back full in lockdown. Circle. Did exactly. we make this happen? Because we did the show. Last I think week. we we put it out in the universe, and now yeah, the universe is well. yeah giving us a second outbreak. But no, we're keeping um we're keeping busy. So we yep. are well. I am hosting a. Office Zoom trivia, as in like the show, The Office. Um, we're doing that tonight after we finish recording. Yes. So I've been busy putting together some fun questions and activities, and yeah, I think it's going to be really fun. I've never, I've only ever attended a Zoom trivia. I've never hosted, so we'll see how that goes. We'll see what happens. But uh, could, all, could be all fun. Yeah, welcome to Best Served Cold, the true crime podcast where we drink wine and talk about crime. I'm one of your amazing co-hosts, Laura Elise, and I now come served in tropical flavor. Nice. And I am Tama Toa, the man so good at his job, they had to lock him down. Nice. Uh, yeah, Sorry, just, I had a mouthful. That's okay. <laughs> very nice. Thank very, you. very nice. Yeah. Um. Yeah, not much has really happened since last week. It was my birthday, which was fun, but slightly uneventful because the lockdown literally got called the day before my birthday. So we had originally planned to go to a pub and then they brought some restrictions in. So then we planned to go to a picnic and then they locked us down. Yeah. So So it is what it is, you know, we're trying to make the best of it. But thanks for all the love we got from last week's episode. It really, like, I know it sounds kind of cheesy and corny to say stuff like this to strangers on the internet, but it does actually genuinely, like, warm our hearts to get really yeah. lovely messages from people saying that they'd missed us and that they're so happy to hear that we're we're back. And it kind of just ties into everything we said last week about the reason we stopped doing it. It just kind of consolidated the reason why we started again. Yeah. Does that make sense? Like like I said before, like we're kind of people just like you and it's um, nice to have, you know, uh, people like that hit us up and sort of give their thoughts and mm. express their fondness of the show and that we're back and everything. And, you know, we're not like these superstar podcasters that have all this time in the world that kind of um when like not celebrities or whatever we're superstars in our own little way exactly yeah everyone's a superstar uh yeah um i don't think we have any housekeeping i guess just um last week i forgot to say if you're new around here we do swear a lot on this show please don't give us a bad review for it we will cry you can follow us on all social media at the bsc podcast 
Uh, we'd love it if you would share our episodes. If you haven't already, leave us a, a, a lovely, nice review on Apple because it does actually help in terms of where we rank in the ratings. Not that we're trying not to place a huge significance on that this time around, but it's still nice to, yeah. you know, get other people to find the show and stuff. Yeah. So. Um, the only other thing to mention is that we're in a new setup. We, yeah, we decorated our we, home office. We redid the office because we haven't both worked together at the same time. Yeah. Basically since this time last year. And the home office had just kind of fallen apart a little mm. bit and it wasn't very productive for two people to work from full-time at home. So. Yeah, so I'm sure we'll upload some photos on Instagram so you can have a little look at our little setup. Um, I'm really happy with it. I think mm. it's really nice and it's easier for me to set up the podcast as well, like much easier. Well, yeah, because we just keep the mics yeah. in the same spot exactly. all the time. Um, well, without any further ado, shall we just jump into it? Yes, it's your turn to go it is my first turn. this week and I think you've got... Quite the doozy of a one from what you were telling me. So this one was really interesting to me because uh, I find modern day kind of cases a bit more fascinating. Mm. Um, You know, with the 80s and the 70s and those kind of murders within that time period, Mm. they all have this sort of thing about them where it's like a cluster. They all kind of have a lot of similar attributes and things that kind of connect them together. And I find that a lot of cases within the 2010s have the same sort of thing. Um, There's a lot of connecting ties, a lot of things that kind of go into their personalities. And um, this one in particular was interesting because he was a former YouTuber. um, Yeah, that's that kind of creeps me out. Uploaded quite a bit on a YouTube channel. and Is it still up? The channel is not up. The Twitter of one of the channels is still up, uh, oddly enough. Um, there are re-uploads of videos, which I did get to see, and I can tell you they are mentally scarring, so do not watch them. Okay. Um, just a pre-note, if you are sensitive to uh, shootings and um, suicide, this story kind of delves into a lot of that, so probably not your kind of story, but... Do you know, sorry, just quickly, Go, yeah. you just, when you said that, it made me realize that for, I think the first time ever, I'm covering a story where no one dies or is injured. Oh, great. Just fun fact. Fantastic. Mine doesn't actually really need a trigger warning. Okay, cool. So we're going to start off hard and then end up kind of easy. Yeah, it's kind Sweet. of a nice great. story, as nice as we get here. Uh, so I am, of course, talking about Randy Robert Stair. He was responsible for the Eden Township Weiss Markets shooting. Um, he, as I said before, was a YouTuber. He kind of delved into this weird psychosis and a fascination with the fictional character and things kind of all spiraled downwards into this weird little episodic thing. But, um, to give you some background, Randy Robert Stair, uh, was born on the 17th of September, 1992. Uh, his father, Robert, and his mother, Laurieann, were an average married couple, and they spent their lives kind of focusing on raising their two sons. Randy had a very typical childhood. He was a shy kid, and he would often avoid being the center of attention and spend most of his time by himself. He was strongly opposed to participating in therapy or seeing a counselor, as he believed uh, doing so would alter who he fundamentally was. And, I mean, that's so kind of the point. Uh, ha- based on um, uh, claims of his 
and disclosure of significant events in his life, his mental health was pretty much just always on the fritz. Starting from uh, his middle school years, um, he, he had written stories yeah, he presented to his English teacher where the main characters would almost always end up involved in some deadly incident that would kill the, the characters. Uh, and that that despite that, none of his teachers really brought the attention to his parents or anything mm. or saw that as a trigger or a warning. Um, he was also a really big fan of Nickelodeon, specifically Fairly Odd Parents and Danny Phantom. And he would often draw um, little mock drawings of Timmy Turner and Danny Phantom in his school books. Uh, and as he grew up, his introverted personality just continued. He had uh, friends, but he never dated, um, never even came close or never even sorted out whatsoever. And really hated working in groups at school. Uh, Ranley clearly did not enjoy social situations, but he was never officially diagnosed with any kind of condition or disorder or mental illness. So Randy Stair has multiple YouTube channels over the course of his nine years on the platform. Uh, the first of, well, really one of the, the, the pivotal channel uh, is a channel called Pioneers Production, which he opened up on the June 9th, 2008. Almost all the videos from that original channel, including the channel itself, are deleted and lost forever. Um, though there are many re-uploads that you can sort of find. Mm. Uh, his content mostly followed sort of com- comedic scenarios, uh, like an episodic sort of thing, story-driven videos, mostly focusing on himself and two other made-up characters called Froggy and Whale. Froggy was a plastic toy frog that he gave a voice to in the videos, and Whale was a plush whale, killer whale, that he also gave a voice to. Creepy. Yeah. So Froggy was mostly used in comedy skits, while the whale character was depicted as a sexual predator who would constantly hit on Randy. Jesus. Now, yeah, this is sort of just a uh, reminder. This is in 2008. So, or t- around 2008 to 2010. So, uh, videos back then were very questionable. Very questionable. That's true. The humor there was so very different. So, this in itself wouldn't have been much of a, like, what's going on here? It's mm. kind of just oh, this edgy, whatever. Yeah, there was a very <clears> big <throat> thing around, like, what was edgy humor and what was just, like, being yeah. a racist piece of the, shit. There's a lot of good YouTubers now who have disclose things they've said before, including, you know, uses of N-word and Mm. F-word. It was just a different time. Uh, So, uh, the two main sort of characters, apart from himself, were two toys that he found at um, a grocery store that he cleaned up and used in some of his skits. This is kind of like an interesting early sign of his uh, active imagination and his fascination with imaginary characters. Mm -hmm. Because this plays a big factor in... Um, much later in the story. In 2010, when Randy was 18 years old, he got his first job at McDonald's. Uh, within three hours of his first shift, he quit. His parents, expectedly, were furious uh, as they now expected him to contribute to the household um, now that he was a, an adult. Yeah. Uh, a few months later, Randy's dad got him a job at a local Weiss supermarket where he himself was the manager of the store. In spring 2011, Randy b- became an official YouTube partner on his 
with his channel, his platform. Mm. This means you get ad revenue. Um, you're at a certain subscriber base. Uh, very big achievement back in 2011 in the early 2000s. Now it's kind of like, yeah, what else is new? You know, yeah. half a fucking dozen of them. Yeah, thanks. Yeah. Randy had many uh, high ambitions to become a filmmaker and this achievement was kind of like the first big milestone of that uh, ambition. Mm. Uh, so after this, he bought himself an iMac and he started working with other creators in his field. And uh, around the same time, he graduated from his high school and started attending a community college for three years throughout to 2014. He would continue to upload various videos on his channel, experimenting with different genres, sometimes including gaming, but nothing ever really stuck for him. Now, I mentioned before, he had a very uh, big fascination with Danny Phantom, which is a American animation series developed by Butch Hartman for Nickelodeon. The series follows Danny Fenton, who is a teenage boy who, after an accident with an unpredictable portal between the human world and the, quote, ghost zone, becomes a ghost-human hybrid and takes on tasks of saving the world and his town from ghost attacks. I just love that you've also included the synopsis of Danny Phantom yeah. in this. Yeah, for those who haven't seen it, I feel like most people have. Is it relevant to... Yes. Oh, okay. Oh, Yes. <laughs> Definitely. There wouldn't be, I wouldn't have included it otherwise. I thought you were just like, the 1996 TV yeah. <laughs> series Powerpuff Girls was popular. <laughs> Pennsylvania was also a very rich town at this time. Um, Randy was a huge fan of the show. Uh, he, he, eventually there was a character on the show who was a ghost uh, rock star whose name was Ember McLean. She used music as a supersonic weapon to hypnotize her enemies. She had a guitar and she would play. Um, original songs mm -hmm. and there were two i believe original songs that sort of were made for the show that um he became obsessed with the, okay. the songs and the character herself she was known on the show for her seductive charm and her hatred for authority same yeah <laughs> according to randy ember was his first crush and helped him cope with various struggles within his life he has a video where he explains his feelings for her. And there's a direct quote that I'm going to read out uh, where he says, she got it. She understood me. I understood her. We had feelings for each other. And it just, it was way more than just a simple connection. It was life changing. Yeah. In Amazing. 2013, Randy, unfortunately lost one of his friends, Matt in a car accident. On top of this, shortly afterwards, his grandfather passed away and he was soon himself involved in a car accident, but was left unharmed for the most part. These multiple deaths around him led him to start a curiosity into death itself. Mm -mm. Yeah. He began to heavily analyze death and wasn't able to escape from the thoughts and at some point began even enjoying them. Randy's friends would often joke about how his infatuation with Ember uh, his, and how she was his fictional girlfriend. But to Randy, it wasn't just that it was a crush on a fictional character. It was love and obsession with a real thing, a person or a ghost. Mm. She was his queen. He claims, he claims that he felt spiritually connected to her and thinks that he knew her even before his birth. Through his obsession, Randy eventually created his own alternate universe, Ember's Ghost Squad, hyphenated as EGS. 
It was a fan-made spinoff that he created of Danny Phantom, staying true to the art style and the general storyline. The universe centered around a crew of ghosts that recruited suicidal people. Randy eventually decided to quit his original channel, Pioneers Productions, to focus more on his new passion, which was animating Ember's Ghost Squad. Eventually, he would carry over to a new YouTube channel, but not before ending things on his previous channel with a five-part YouTube series that he worked on throughout 2014. Mostly, the series focused on him killing off the other two main characters of the show, Froggy and Whale. The first video, and and just to preface, this is really fucked up. Mm -hmm. Um, First video was titled Amnesia Rape. Oh, lovely. Yeah. In which a weight falls on Randy's head and he is then tied up by Froggy and Whale who film him being raped. Jesus Christ. That's just like... Oh, yeah. There wasn't really like a wind up to that. It's just kind it's of. It's just. Here you go. Mental. Here you go. Uh, the second one is called The Search for Remember. Remember was an original track uh, for Danny Phantom for the, the Ember character, mm-hmm. uh, in which Froggy, the character Froggy, reveals to Randy that he has the full HD track of Remember on a laptop, but then runs away with the laptop and drops it into the water when it is then revealed to be a dream. At the end of the video, Randy looks online and finds the HD version. In the third video, called Extinction, Randy murders Froggy and Whale and puts their bodies into a box. He does this by viciously stabbing them with a knife because, quote, Ember told him to. Oh, my God. It's fucking graphic, too. The frog is screaming for its life. Why are you doing this? Until he says, she told me to. And Ember floats right behind him like a fucking horror movie scene. Uh, it's insane that this was uploaded and people thought, eh, there's nothing wrong here. What the actual fuck? The fourth video called Resurrection is where Randy, who feels remorse over murdering the whale and froggy, is chased by their ghosts. Ember then uses her powers to stop Froggy and the whale. In the final video, named Absolution, and uh here he puts uh, the toys into a box and burns the box. Uh, on the 12th of January 2015, this was when he uploaded the last of his videos to Pioneers Productions. The video ha- had him reimagining himself playing Call of Duty when Ember appears in front of him. They have a conversation about their connection together and how she has had a... How, and he talks about how she has had a profound impact on his life. He then um, takes the box containing Froggy and Whale outside and sets it on fire, cremating the two characters. In the same movie, he heads home, continues to talk to Ember, telling her he's ready. He then pretends to take a gun to his head and ends his life. <clears throat> Why? With his channel now sort of officially over, he can now focus all of his time on animating EGS, Emma's Ghost Squad, uh, and proceeded to call himself, as he would like, uh, a new title, um, Andrew Blaze. Yeah, apparently, he hated his birth name. Right. And I understand that because his last name is Stare. So, I'm sorry to anyone who's named Stare out there, but... I kind of like Stare. Sure. Cool. <clears throat> it makes me think of Fred Astaire. F- sure. Uh, in January two thousand, Gil, you freaking hey, fish hey, loving hey, motherfucker. We don't, 
We don't talk about that name. <laughs> <laughs> in January 2016, since the ending of his prior channel, he was now working a night shift at the grocery store and was focusing on his new creative direction. He had a new uh, video he uploaded on, on his channel at some point uh, called Abyss where he sort of channeled his thoughts on his hatred for the world, telling his viewers to, quote, look into the abyss to find their true selves. It's kind of like this weird monologue where he's looking at the mirror and then he's looking at the camera, and it's just this kind of, like, narcissistic... Uh, that just sounds like every, like, final project for film school students. Yeah. What, what's like, the word? <laughs> nihilistic. It's kind of like a nihilistic, like... Right. The world is shit, look at yourselves kind of thing. Also, can I just quickly side yep. note, this exact reason is why I need to go first every episode we do, because I'm not going to lie, I'm a little bit tipsy. <laughs> I haven't had dinner and I've had a glass of wine. Yeah, this is the end of the show. It's just going to end right here. Uh, Randy was visibly angry at the world and he was diving deeper into psychosis. He continues to talk about a woman he's been seeing and how she has helped him helped him to show him the way uh, of life. And of course, if you haven't guessed at this point, the woman is Ember, the fictional Danny Phantom character. Mm-hmm. He concludes that how things are, have been changing for him over the past few years and he's discovered who he truly is. He pictures uh, an afterlife uh, as a magical place where anyone can do whatever they wanted whenever they wanted. He believes that everyone receives a soul contract to do something in their own lives. And after they do that and accomplish that, they then die. This led Rainey to believe that he was destined to die um, and that he would soon be with Ember in the afterlife. Even though he created uh, Ember's Ghost Squad, he believed that EGS was a real thing and that once he died, he would be resurrected as a female spirit to join the Ghost Squad. Yeah. Although Randy's depression was getting worse since 2013, he was now seeing death as the best outcome for his future. In 2016, he began working on what would be his final video called the Westboro High Massacre which featured Andrew and uh, other EGS characters, uh, character Rachel shooting up a high school, likely based on the one that he went to as a teenager. There had been, over the few videos uploaded to the EGS channel, there'd been a f- multiple tape episodes called Conspiracing a Massacre in which Andrew and... Uh, in which um, Randy and the characters in the show would conspire to shoot up Westboro High. The actual video itself is is sickening as well, and I will get into that a little bit later. Great. Can't wait. <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> In April 2017, Randy filmed himself using a coin toss to determine his own fate. He told, him, he told the camera uh, that at this point he decided he wanted to die, however, the method was still yet to be decided. He determined he would use a coin to decide whether he would end his life on his own or go to the grocery store where he worked, taking other lives with him. It was a My best Lord. of three. Best of three. Flipped two for each side, eventually landing on the side, deciding to end his life at the grocery store. It's worth pointing out here as well that Rainey owned a pistol grip Mossberg 500 pump action shotgun. And we're just going back to the thing from the last episode where we people are. who are severely mentally ill shouldn't have access no. to shit like that. 
he was gifted this gun by his mother. Oh. Yeah. How old is he at this stage? Like... In his 20s, I think. Oh, okay. Uh, I don't know why I thought he was like 16. Or 19 in his 20s, maybe. Yeah, I think he's in his 20s. Um, in How old were you in 2017? I'm not releasing that information on the <laughs> internet. <laughs> I also can't remember. I don't know, 23? Yeah, that how age. How old am I now? 28? Nine. Just. Yeah. I can't do math. Okay. Pretty sure I was 24. Okay. Um, that's how old he was. So he had this gun that was gifted to him by his mom. And after the coin toss, he bought another one of the same guns and named both the guns Rachel and Mackenzie after two of his EGS characters. Mm -hmm. Now you may have noticed if you know anything about guns, which I do not, but I learned researching this. The shotguns that he both purchased and were gifted were used by the Columbine shooters. Oh, no, I did not know yeah. that. Even down to the fine details of one of them was sawed down um, to deal more damage and had they both had taped grips, which the Columbine shooters had as well. Mm. Um, in journal entries dated from November 23rd, 2016 through to June 5th, 2017, uh, he has several entries which express his admirations for the Columbine shooters, Eric Harris and Dylan Klebold. Mm-hmm. Hence the guns. Yeah. He had a huge infatuation for the two shooters, almost as huge as his, his obsession with the Ember character. Love that. Uh, the contents of his journal even reflected those of Eric Harris, who in, he, who had a journal of, of his own. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first line of uh, of um, Randy's journal even has a similar quote to what Harris wrote, saying, "I hate the fucking world." Oh, cute. Yeah. Uh, in this journal entries as well, it, it was revealed that Randy had a lot of openly racist and misandrist and homophobic uh, ideals and thoughts. Mm. He kind of just hated men, Everyone hated ra- hated other races, hated yeah. um, gay people, um, which was ironic because both of his heroes, the two Columbine shooters, were males. Right. Which is interesting that you... You, you openly are yeah. misandrous, but um, he believed that the Columbine shooters were victimized and he sympathized with their cause. Over the next few months, he would upload videos, including him firing his shotgun at water bottles. He would also vent his extremist views and decides to die in journal entries. He even created his own natural selection shirts that he would wear, imitating the ones that Eric Harris wore during the Columbine shooting. He even had Twitter, pro- Twitter profiles for, e- for the few of the EGS characters he made where he would make up conversations between the various profiles. And on the main Twitter profile, he would continuously upload hints of his plans for June 7th. One of them was literally saying, if you think your body is ready for June 7th, then you're gravely mistaken. And I'm talking about like consistently updating Twitter. Right. Saying June 7th, June 7th, June 7th. This something's going to happen. Yeah. 
On uh, April 2017, he uploaded a self-created artwork to DeviantArt, uh, which is an online sharing platform, which depicts one of his characters. And you can see this, Laura, but the viewers at home cannot see this. Mm. That's one of his characters there based on the Danny Phantom um, design. EGS for uh, uh, Ember's Ghost Squad. The quote is saying, I hope you all fucking die. Yeah. Lovely. Uh, so on top of his uh, fascination with the shooters and uh, Danny Phantom and his own creations, he watched a lot of documentaries on spree killers and would openly discuss them on online forums and even express his desires to find a full version of the Columbine basement tapes, which were the kind of plans and consp- and um, where the two shooters would conspire to what they would do at the school. Right. Either to learn more about how they did it, so he could replicate it, or just because he had a fascination with it. Mm-hmm. He also went on to create a series of suicide tapes where he that he stored on Mediafire, where he opened up about his hatred and disgust of the world. Over 10 hours of video footage was recorded in just under two weeks. He mostly talked about his depression and his plans to attack the supermarket, and of course, Ember and the EGS. In a video he created on the 1st of June 2017, he opened up about how much he hated his father and working to earn money. And he really hated his father. Really hated I thought hated. you were going to say he was really hated working to earn money because I was going to be like, same. Yeah. <laughs> uh, on the 3rd of June, Randy recorded his last spoken video called Goodbye Earth. This would be the last time he spoke directly to camera. And it was honestly... Uh, uh, I saw the video. It, it's a very weird feeling it leaves you with okay because he has these eyes of just nothing you know those you know how you can look at photos of mugshots of serial killers yeah and they're just like blank blank and he's literally faking a smile at camera saying doesn't that bring back memories where did it all go wrong things like that oh that blank sends yeah like he knows he's self-aware of what he is it's very creepy The night before his planned attack, Randy filmed a video of the supermarket he worked at analyzing the store's entry and exit points. Mm-hmm. And then approximately 11 p.m. on June 7th, 2017, like he said, he arrives at the Weiss markets for his late night shift. Um, before performing his typical store duties, he blocked an emergency exit near the building's crew area with his car. Not long after, he returned to the crew area and blocked any remaining emergency exits with wooden pallets or whatever he could sort of find. After he locked, uh, he blocked all the store exits, he went to the automatic doors at the front of the store in the entrance and locked them as well. At 11.19pm, he uploads his final video to YouTube ever. A half-cut, 42-minute long EGS animation where he, he created depicting a character in himself shooting up a high school. The previous video I was talking about. Mm. In each of the the EGS animation videos that he uploaded onto YouTube, they started with like a minute long uh, intro where it's like a, it's a copywritten song that he stole from somewhere. Right. um, Where characters are playing guitar. um, They're kind of showing emotions. At some point he shoots himself in the head. God. um, And that was on the intro of every single video. That he uploaded yeah, for that just channel. casual. And no one gave a shit. Super casual. No one was like, yeah, this is nothing wrong here. On this particular video, 
this was the one I was talking about where he shoots up a high school with one of his characters. He reached out to many different animators and voice actors for help in this video. Yeah, and they were like, bro. Each and every one of them were no, like, either they either not. said, no, fuck that, uh, or they just didn't respond. And he uploaded, he worked on the video himself, eventually at some point giving up, um, leaving some scenes as just rough sketches mm. um, because he figured he's already made up his mind about killing himself, so why yeah. bother finishing it? When he uploaded the video... It had these black screens um, before the video actually starts where he has a bunch of text on which basically shows his disgust for everyone that didn't want to help him, um, how, like, they all let him down. He's like, fuck you, you piece mm. of shit. It's very angry and he even talks about, like, oh, I'll be dead when this comes out anyway. And um, it's very bizarre. The actual animation itself is... Insane, and it's really gross, really fucking mm. disgusting. The the like the characters literally go around shooting high school students at a high school Jesus. to like not a day to remember, but that kind of like you know post hardcore music. Yeah, it's really fucked up. Um, so at twelve ten a.m., he tweeted links to files and videos that um, he, as I previously mentioned, he uploaded those videos, suicide mm. notes, and plans on Mediafire. Um, he uploaded links to those on his Twitter, which is still there, by the way. But the mm. Mediafire links, the actual files are deleted. Right. But the links are still there. Creepy. Yeah. Uh, he then walks around the store, um, equipped now with his two shotguns and a t-shirt with the phrase, it's our time to rise. He mm. finds his co-workers, um, him being one of four other three other him being um one of four total employees yeah there um f sorry five employees he finds three of his co-workers one by one and shoots and fires at them killing them all of the five total employees working that store that night uh Kristen newell was the only survivor Newell had been distracted listening to music while the shooting was actually happening, so she didn't actually hear anything going on. Right. Fact, she was doing her job, and for approximately five seconds, uh, Randy walks behind her, stands for about five seconds, and she's still unaware that anything has happened mm. before he walks around and turns away, letting her live. Jeez, and what can you see that in, like, CCTV? The CCTV footage showed it. Oh. That hasn't been disclosed but they explained it as that. Oh, that's terrifying. Yeah. He just stares at her, walks around, leaves. Um, it was only after a little while when he started, when he started um, firing at different store merchandise, including glass, when she sort of was wondering what's going on. Like realizes what's happening. She found the body of one of her co-workers oh, and ran to the crew room where she then contacted police. Mm. However, before they could arrive... And um, this is in a town where the police station was literally down the road. Mm. Um, Rainey sat down near the deli section, put the shotgun in his mouth and killed himself. Right. Literally minutes after a police arrived. Um, the victims were Victoria Brong. She was aged 26. She was an assistant tag manager for Wise Markets and she was a mother of one. Brian Hayes, 
was age 47. He was a United States Navy veteran. And Terry Lee Sterling was age 63. He was a grandfather. Oh, that's so sad. Yeah. And that's the story of Randy Stir. I can't tell you how bizarre and odd it is to to have literal documentation of a person's Things decline. That done, yeah. A literal like timeline of you can see their mental state collapsing. Yeah, it's kind of terrifying. It really is. And a little interesting trivia. Um there's a YouTuber I used to watch all the time uh called Make Me Bad. He, Randy, was a fan of Make Me Bad. And at some point, they would they kind of got into the same sort of circles and they played Xbox Live together. Mm, oh, shit. Um, and when this happened, he sent out emails to all the people he was close with mm. and people he had worked with, including Make Me Bad. And it was like an email det- detailing what he was going to do and how he had planned to kill himself. Jesus. And the email was set to come after what sort of happened. Um, so he made a video. He was like, I just got this email and I just heard about the news that this person I knew did this terrible thing. Like, oh, I don't wow. even know what to think yeah. about it. Like, yeah. Um, fucking terrible. Oof. Yeah. So that's that piece of shit. I will not be calling him by his chosen name because... For, no, um, he doesn't get that right. He doesn't care, but he doesn't deserve He that. doesn't get that right. He can go no. fuck himself. Um, Far out. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> yeah, so those videos are still obviously very readily available to watch. They are. The, um, the perplexing thing is his fascination with transitioning into a female as well. Because when he believed that he died, he would come back as a female ghost and join the squad. Right. And he would often do feminine things to try and emulate this. So he would, um, and this is just what I read, he would pee sitting down, shave his legs and arms, wear bras, and would cross-dress. There's nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong at all. But this is, he believed that, Mm. um, it's unclear whether he believed that he was a, he 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 wanted to become a woman. Yeah. Or the transition into a woman ghost. Right. It's unclear if he was transgender or not. Basically. Yeah. It's. I mean, it's kind of sad to even think about the fact where you've clearly got someone who's very mentally ill. Yeah. Like, did he, did he believe that in order to? like transition that there wasn't another like because of his mental illness he convinced himself that actually transitioning wouldn't have been yeah a possibility i believe he said that he was born in the wrong body Mm. something of that of that sense and it is sad because if with all these warning signs if at least something happened along the line there yeah. he could have gotten the help you he often needed. wonder with people like that where clearly they're not that it excuses their actions in any way but when someone is very clearly incredibly <clears throat> mentally ill not that i'm trying to say that being trans is mentally ill no, by the way of course, not no. at all um, but obviously there's a lot of other stuff going on in the background when someone is obviously very clearly mentally unwell and hasn't received any care, it does make you wonder, like, could this have been avoided? Had they had the care that they needed? I think it could have for sure. 
I think it definitely could have been avoided. Like those are questions, obviously, we'll never know the answer he to. He could have had... I very often wonder. He could have had help. Someone diagnose him with something, mm. medication, something like I that. I think that with the, the story I did last week of Dina, um, Dina Schlosser, mm. Schlosser, whatever her... I can't pronounce her surname. Yeah. Um, things like that, it makes you wonder if it's a, if it would have been avoidable with the correct mental health care. Mm. And then he could have successfully transitioned like he wanted to, mm. like in a And live the life that she wanted to. Yeah. Exactly. Which is quite sad to think about. Very sad to think about. And that's the that's the on top of the um obviously the terrible outcome of it, that's the sad thing to mm. think about as well. But anyway. Well on that happy note, yeah. <laughs> uh, we'll take a very brief break. We're gonna go Fix ourselves another drink, go mm-hmm. to the bathroom, and we'll be back and I will tell you my story. And welcome back. Hello. I hope you fixed yourself another drink. Because we sure did. We did. I also put some chippies in the oven, which I'm very excited to eat when this mm-hmm. is over because I just... Or fries for our American audience. deeply passionate. No, in, see, in my head, fries are the little skinny ones. Chips are like thick ones and then crisps... Are the dried like? I don't think ones. Americans typically have thick chips, though. I think they're called steak fries. Oh, okay. Yeah. There you go. You learn something new when you. Uh, our American audience, let me know if that's right or not. Yeah. Actually... What do you? So we would call like the French fries you get from McDonald's fries. Fries, yeah. And then like thick steak, like ones cut. you get with like steak frits or like fish and chips. I yeah. would call them chips. And then I would call the crunchy ones crisps or potato chips. Yeah, I would call the crispy crisps, like Smith's or whatever, I would yeah. call them chips. I call them crisps. Okay. Mainly because I like how the word sounds in my mouth. Crisps. Crisps. Yeah. It's the posh word for Anyway, it. that's not why we're here. Um, Spicy potatoes. <laughs> Spicy potatoes. So... I'm going to be talking about one that I first heard about on My Favourite Murder, and I've been fascinated by this ever since because, I, for me, I always assume when I hear about, like, a disease or a, a mental illness, when it's obviously named after something, I always assume it's either named by the person who discovered it or named by, like, the city it was discovered in. Right. I didn't realise that this particular, like mental illness phenomenon, whatever you want to call it, is named by a very specific event. So I'm talking about Stockholm Syndrome. Uh, So for those who don't know, I'll briefly go into what Stockholm Syndrome is. I've taken the definition off healthline.com because when it it. comes to medical definitions, I don't fuck around. We don't know shit. No. I don't want to mislead anyone. So I'm just going to read verbatim. So Stockholm Syndrome is a psychological response. It occurs when hostages or abuse victims bond with their captors or abusers. This psychological connection develops over the course of the days, weeks, months, or even years of captivity or abuse. With this syndrome, hostages or abuse victims may come to sympathize with their captors. This is the opposite of the fear, terror, and disdain that might be expected from the victims in these situations. Over the course of time, some victims do come to develop positive feelings towards their captors. They may even begin to feel as if they share common goals and causes. The victim may begin to develop negative feelings towards the police or authorities. They may resent anyone who may be trying to help them escape from the dangerous situation they're in. This paradox does not happen with every hostage or victim, and it's unclear why it occurs when it does. 
So that's the the proper medical definition of Stockholm Syndrome. Gotcha. So this term was first brought to popularity in 1973 after a bank robbery, bank robbery, robbery in, robbery. surprise, surprise, Stockholm. Specifically, and I'm so sorry, there are so many Swedish, Scandinavian words that I'm probably going to butcher. I'm going to do my best. So specifically, this term came from normal... <laughs> <laughs> You're doing great. Uh, you can do it. There's so many M's. Normal Armstrong Square in Stockholm, Sweden in August 1973. I'm so sorry if we have people that listen. That sounded Sweden. right. It's probably not. It's probably not. So this robbery was committed by um, Jan Erik Olsen, who at the time of the robbery, robbery was already a convicted felon. So he was known by police as an expert explosive user and someone who was excellent with a gun. He'd <sighs> been arrested in 1972 for grand, grand larceny, and he'd already had like a certain level of infamy for this particular crime because of the weird circumstances around it. Right. So he was ransacking the home of an elderly couple thinking the house was empty. The couple had come home halfway through him sort of robbing their home. When the the man saw his home was being robbed, he had a heart condition. So he sort of keeled over on the ground and was clutching at his chest and his wife oh. calmly asked Olsen if he could bring him his heart medication from the kitchen, to which he did, bought him his heart medication and then promptly continued to rob their house. Oh, wow. And okay. left with, like, a large amount of cash and jewellery. A gentleman thief. Basically. Right. So he already kind of had this reputation for being, like, yes, I'll rob you, but I'm really not interested in, like, killing you. I don't fuck with that. Like, I just, I just want your money. Kind of like that. Yeah. It's kind of like, not Robin Hood, but it's giving me... Robin Hood vibe. Yeah, exactly. So he was halfway through his sentence for this and he was out on day furlough when he managed to escape and the robbery was committed. So after managing after managing to escape his furlough, Olsen walked into Schweger's Credit Bank. Oh, wow, that sounded actually pretty good. Well, Credit Bank is spelled exactly the same but with a K instead of a C. Credit so Bank. So that one was Credit Bank. <laughs> nice. <laughs> nice. Schweger's? S-V-E- uh, I-G-E-S, Sverges. That sounds good. That sounds right. So it's one of the largest banks in Sweden. He walks in with a loaded submachine gun hidden under his jacket, as well as ammo, explosives, rope, gloves, knives. In other words, he was packing. He was he there was for ready. business. Yeah. In an attempt to disguise himself, because obviously he already has a record and the police know of him, he wears large glasses, a wig, a fake mustache, and he coated his cheeks in a bright like red rouge, as well as dyed his eyebrows jet black. Huh. Okay. When he en- enters the bank, he also only speaks English and puts on a fake American accent. So he's really trying to hide his identity. Yeah. Once he enters the bank, Olsen doesn't try and go for like the quiet, put the money in the bank and I won't shoot you. Instead, he immediately fires his gun into the ceiling and yells out in English, the party has just begun. It's around this time employees in the bank trigger the silent alarms, which alert the police, because unlike a lot of banks, um, apparently a lot of American banks use private security firms, but Sweden mainly works with the police. So they had a lot of silent alarms around the bank where you trigger it and the police would be there in like seconds. Interesting. Yeah. Olsen places a transistor radio, which he bought with him, onto the counter of the teller booths and begins to blast rock music loudly. 
Olsen then removes the rope from his bag and instructs one of the bookkeepers who worked at the bank to begin binding people. Three of these were women, Elizabeth Oldgren, Brigitte Lundblad and Kristen Enmark. Um, as well as later, he takes a single male male hostage, Sven Safström. Mm. So around this time, swarms of police begin to arrive and Olsen has his first face-off with police officer Morgan Rylander, who's the first sergeant on the scene. And he's shortly put to work by Olsen, who is not interested in trying to murder a bunch of people, and he instructs the police officer to take many of the civilians who are in the bank to let them out. He's just interested in these few hostages that he's tied up already. After that, Morgan is also excused by um, Olsen. He's told, get out, fuck off. Cool. Uh, So then we meet Superintendent Sven Thorander, who, after checking him for weapons, also um, Olsen kind of puts him to work and gives his demand. So first of all, he wants his friend Clark Olofsson, who is currently in jail for armed robbery. Um, He wants him bought out of jail and bought to the bank to be his accomplice. They're like, okay. Okay. He also demands 3 million Swedish kronor, as well as two additional pistols and a fast getaway car. Olsen also stipulates that he will only be leaving the bank with his hostages in tow, but makes the stipulation they will be wearing bulletproof helmets and vests. So, like... I don't want to glamorize this guy, but as far as bank robbers go, he's really going out of his way to make sure no one's getting hurt. Yeah. Olsen stressed that if the hostages were to die, it would be on the police and not on him. All of Olsen's wishes are declined by the Prime Minister, (laughs) who states under no circumstances will Olsen be allowed to leave the bank with the hostages. They do, however, abide by his first request, and at around 4pm, Clark is brought from the prison to the second floor of the bank where police had set up their sort of... Uh, task force and he's allowed downstairs to meet with Olsen and becomes part of Olsen's crew. Interesting. Police say that upon the arrival of Clark, Olsen visibly calms down. The volume of his voice decreased because he's been wandering around the bank screaming at the top of his lungs and he also allows the hostages to be untied. It's at this point that the women are also allowed to use the phones on the ground floor of the bank to call their families. When one of the women dejectedly states that she's unable to get a hold of anyone at her home, Olsen gently strokes her cheek and tells her to keep trying. So it's just, it's a weird situation. This is very weird and interesting. So Clark becomes the unofficial scout on behalf of Olsen. He routinely scours the perimeter of the floor there on every now and then to ensure that no police are attempting to sneak in. And it's here when they find the fourth and final hostage, Sven, who'd been hiding in one of the storerooms. What are Sven's? There's only one Sven. I mentioned him before. Oh, it's the same Sven. It's the same Sven. He oh. just wasn't taken hostage at the start. He was hiding in a storeroom. They find him I just, later. I'm sitting here going, wow, there's like 30 Svens in Sweden. Yeah. No, there's <laughs> just... I mean, it is a very popular name, but yeah. there's only one Sven in this... Gotcha. ...in this uh, story. Shout out to all the Svens out there. So shortly after sort of the hostages are taken initially, snipers attempt to fire at Olsen through one of the bank windows, and it's at this point Olsen moves himself... Clark and the hostages to the bank vault where he feels they'll all be safer. The vault was 47 feet long, 11 feet wide and seven and a half feet wide, but it's filled with both like shelving for safety deposit boxes as well as several writing desks. So it's actually a pretty cramped space for um, six people. Gotcha. It's after this move, you kind of see the events that lead up to the captors forming this bond with Olsen. 
So after only an hour in the vault, one of the hostages, Elizabeth, begins to claim she's feeling very claustrophobic. In answer to this, Olsen ties a rope around her neck that's 30 feet long and allows her to wander outside the vault without him as long as she's tethered. So um, obviously not just letting her leave, but he's going, okay, you can... You can go outside. You can leave, yeah. Two of the other women are also allowed to go untethered to the bathroom. Both women returned but did come across one lone officer who was hiding beneath the stairs on the ground floor. The officer asked hostage Kristen how many hostages there were. She said, I showed them with my fingers. I felt like a traitor. I didn't know why. The sight of the police also left Brigida in conflict. She told me... Sorry, she told the psychologist who was doing this article. Mm-hmm. Uh, all I had to do was take a few steps towards them and I would be able to stop worrying about my two daughters. They were very much on my mind, but so were the other hostages, even though our lives had never crossed before. I was afraid I might endanger them if I didn't go back. I turned away from the police. I was part of a group. There didn't seem to be anything I could do about it. Interesting. By the second full day of their captivity, Olsen and his hostages were on a relaxed first-name basis with each other. Police, who at one stage enter the bank to attempt to begin negotiations with Olsen, they demand to see the hostages, make sure they're safe and not injured. They note the hostages seem far more distrusting sorry, far more trusting and relaxed around their captor than they do with them. The inspecting police officers note Olsen has his arms slung casually over the shoulders of his female captors and none appear remotely bothered by his presence nor harmed in any way. When one of the hostages, Kristen, Kirsten, sorry, was allowed to speak with the Prime Minister via the phone, she said, I'm very disappointed. I think you are sitting there playing checkers with our lives. I fully trust Clark and the robber, which is what they knew Olsen as. Mm-hmm. I am not desperate. They haven't done a thing to us. On the contrary, they have been very nice. But you know, Olaf, what I am scared of is that the police will attack and cause us to die. She went so far as to ask that they allowed Olsen, Clark, and all the other hostages to peacefully leave the bank in the getaway car together. Her request is again denied. Right. The hostages are again allowed to call their families in the coming days. Brigida does manage to speak with her mother, who's watching her two children. And after the phone call, when she's quite upset and she's crying because she misses her children, Olsen sort of walks over to her and consoles her and rubs her back and says it's going to be okay. Don't worry about it. On the morning of the third uh, morning of the hostage situation, a lone police officer enters the space to try and ascertain whether the hostages are still alive because obviously they don't realise that the situation with the hostages is pretty chill. Mm -hmm. So he sort of kicks around some stuff in attempting to make a noise to stir people in the vault. What he doesn't realise is the reason they're not moving is because they're all soundly asleep. Wow. They're all in such a deep sleep, including Olsen. They all trust each other so much. They're all just asleep. Wow. So he actually takes this opportunity, though, and pushes the vault door shut and locks it from the outside. So Olsen, Clark, and the four hostages are now all trapped in this bank vault. Wow, okay. Uh, But the problem is that uh, the police rather know that Olsen is heavily armed with both explosives and guns. So whilst they've got him locked in this vault, they can't really open it at risk of getting shot or blown up. So they form a plan of which they would drill holes in the roof of the vault, drop in tear gas, and then storm the vault, taking the hostages to safety. 
So days pass between the vault door shutting while they're getting like the blueprints for the bank and figuring out because obviously drilling into a vault is not oh it's complex yeah an easy thing it's not supposed to be easy. Uh, so the hygiene of everyone stuck in the vault starts God, to decline. Days. They all talk about having to like take turns going in baskets uh, in the corner, and it wasn't yeah. like a pleasant okay pleasant time. However, finally at 10.45 on Sunday night, the drilling operations get underway, filling the vault with a very loud, high-pitched screech for hours. Jesus. Olsen attempts to turn up his transistor radio, which he tuned into police frequencies to try and sort of stay on top of what was going on as well as drown out some of the noise, but he doesn't really get anywhere. He also attempts to... I guess, push back against the police by placing one of his small explosives in one of the vents and setting it off. While this does halt the drilling for a short time, it soon starts again. And with sleep now impossible for the hostages and due to the thick nature of the walls, they're basically just like, they're trying to uh, exhaust Olsen as I guess a, a form of like psychological torture. Yeah. But they're also doing the same thing to, to the hostages. hostages. Yeah. So when the drills finally penetrate the roof, Olsen is manic. He um, sets off again small rounds of explosives on the drill tips to try and blow them up, but obviously they just replace them. Uh, they also have to, at one point, they accidentally sever one of the wires for the lights and all the lights go off. So they have to drop in a lantern uh, to avoid starting fires. They have to constantly use water on the drills. So the vault itself starts to fill with water. And in some places there's like five to six inches of water sitting on the ground. Sheesh. Like it's just an absolute. This is a shit, shit show. Fight. Yeah. So Olsen loses his shit. He takes all the hostages and stands them on top of bank deposit boxes with nooses around their necks. He's saying if they drop tear gas into the vault, the hostages will lose consciousness. And while he won't actually do anything, when they lose consciousness, they'll obviously fall ah, and strangle themselves. Right. So he's really kind of going for the, I'm not actually doing anything. I'm not going to harm them. This but if you do fault. this, it's going to be your fault. Yeah, right. So police stop. Okay. At this time, the stalemate kind of continues. They have already drilled these holes now, though, so they just wait and wait and wait and wait, and eventually catching him off guard, they kind of silently pump in some tear gas. He does again, when he realizes that it's happening, he does again try and do the noose trick, but it's kind of too late. Yeah. And as well as, as that, they've kind of thought of that, and they're not actually putting enough gas into the vault to make them unconscious. It's just kind of making You're them like... Them? Irritate yeah. and they're all throwing up and their eyes are watering. Uh, so Olsen finally gives up. He screams to let them out and it's all over. So they lower a bucket down from the roof of the vault. Olsen throws his gun in and then after ensuring that his explosives are no longer a threat, the vault door is opened. The hostages are told to leave first. They refuse, fearing that when they leave the vault, the police will simply shoot Olsen and Clark. Wow. So they force Olsen and Clark to go first, standing directly behind them. Upon their release, captors and hostages embrace and kiss, and all six walk out of the bank together. Wow. Clark and Olsen are obviously immediately rested, and the four hostages are taken for psychi psychiatric assistance to help with their ordeal. It becomes clear to doctors who speak with the four hostages that they view the police as their enemy, not Olsen. Olsen is eventually sentenced to 10 years in jail and Clark is acquitted given that he'd only been present at the behest of Olsen. Yeah. 
Olsen was released at the end of his prison sentence, and in 1996, he moved to Thailand with his family. He had a wife and son. Uh, and then 10 years later, he moved back to Sweden, where as far as I can see, he still lives with his wife and son. Interesting. And that is how the concept of the Stockholm Syndrome came to be. a thing. And it was wow. said that after the ordeal, some of the hostages would still go visit him in jail. You know what's interesting about that is there is definite like plausibility behind that as mm. well. The way they sort of treated that would... If I was in that situation with someone who's clearly stating like, I'm not going to kill you if you die, it is literally because of police intervention. Yeah, at one point, um, there was one fucked up thing, which is at one point, Sven remembers, one of the hostages, Sven remembers Olsen saying to him like, obviously, I'm, this isn't verbatim, he's just like, look, dude, like these police are not backing down. I'm going to have to shoot you, but I'm only going to shoot you in the leg. And I just need you to like play along and I'm going to put you in a spot where you can fling out in the hallway and look really dramatic. Yeah. And Sven said to his psychiatrist that he thought it was really kind of him to offer to only shoot him in the foot. I mean, look, if, if I was in a, in a hostage situation where someone had a gun and l- literally had control over my life, they were like, mm-hmm. I'm going to spare you because I don't want to kill you and I don't want to inflict that on you. Yeah. Be like, I mean, like that's the that's the interesting thing about this, and it kind of gives a bit more uh, depth and validity to mm. Stockholm syndrome because you often think about it. You think like you think of you, you know, like the the Netflix series you, yeah, where like at the end of the series, the first um, season, um, what's her name again? The blonde oh, like, character. Um- I genuinely can't Yeah, remember. so she's trying to, like, reason and pretend like she forgives him and accepts him for who she who he is, and then when he ultimately releases her, she turns on him. Mm. You think of Stockholm Syndrome as something like that, where it's like, at the end of the day, you're going to resent them anyway. Yeah. But in reality, it's like, in that situation, I would ultimately trust the robber more than I would trust the police in Well, that. that's what they were all saying. They were kind of being like, look, he's given you his demands of what he wants. Like, he wants money and he wants a car. Like, yeah. that's it. And if you don't, like, if you try and storm the bank, he's going to react to you storming the bank. Yeah. But in terms of what he's going to do of his own volition, he doesn't plan on hurting any of us. There's a lot of um, there's a lot of situations like that too where um, there are hostage situations and police come in to quote rescue hostages and then sometimes hostages die during those scrambles and you think mm. could this have been dealt a lot more delicately yeah. like the yeah, lint yeah. the lint cafe shooting in Australia yeah that's, well, that's Sydney. exactly what happened yeah. is that um, hostages were shot by the shooter trying to shoot police yeah. Yeah. As far as we know. Not that it makes what he did right. But, no, I like, don't think look, if I'm going to be held hostage by someone, I would rather it be someone who's really not interested in killing me. And I don't think he necessarily was interesting. The, the lynch shooter wasn't interested in killing anyone. He was psychotic, mm. I think. But Yeah, I don't know. That's that's an interesting case to, to, to look yeah, into as well. Yeah, we should do well. that one one day. Um, but it is it does bring up a question of are these police tactics really validated? Mm. Do, if 
like, sure, you saved X amount of people, but at the expense of Y amount of people. Well, the fact that at the very beginning he took his hostages and then he let everyone else yeah. go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. And I'm sure, like, those people who worked in that bank there's a very strong chance that they might have experienced or at least heard of in their field of mm. other prior experiences of robbers, of bank robbers. Yeah, or, I don't know. You know. Um, and a lot of those experiences are very violent and forward and, like, people die, people just... Mm. Stuff like that happens. I'm, not a lot of them you hear of people being polite and nice to. Yeah, for sure. Um, the victims. But no, it's um I still remember when I first heard this story on My Favourite Murder on the podcast My Favourite yeah. Murder. And I remember just thinking that it was so fascinating that um it was based off a real world situation that was sort of the yeah. first of its I guess recorded kind. But also yeah. such an extreme version of it. Because I hear I think most people when you hear Stockholm syndrome you think it's someone who's really nasty and evil that you've developed a relationship with. In in an attempt to save your own life. Yeah. Yeah. But this is kind of more like, I I get it. Like, I get why you didn't hate him. Like, yeah, he still took you hostage and was like erratic. And there were definitely mentions in the the article or the articles that I read for research where he was – he would kind of – he didn't hurt them, but he was like brutal in that he'd lose his temper and he was yeah. he was a criminal, he's a bank robber. But you know, if there's gonna be someone that you um He's also getting fired at by sniper rifles. Like I yeah. mean it's like It's wild. But yeah. yeah, I I'm it's almost it's almost like a in terms of this show, it's kind of like a feel good story. Well, no one died. <laughs> That's the thing. No one dies, no one was injured. Yeah. I think the worst injury was a police officer got shot in the hand oh, um, in the original yeah. sort of skirmish right. when the bank was first taken, but no one died. Yeah. No one was severely injured. It's kind of, it's kind of a win for this show. <laughs> Honestly, yeah. I, I like, let us know if you would rather hear stories like this because it is a bit more like... It's kind of nice to do something that doesn't make me want to cry. You know what? I really do like the 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 aspect of like unraveling a mystery yeah, like it's where fun. did that word come from yeah i like that i think it's a bit more interesting than just sort of like death and decay and mm. our usual bullshit yeah let us know what you thought about that story because i i personally thought it was and a did good you one. know had you heard of that story before yeah. was it something cuz i just always assumed that like it must have Stockholm syndrome was like coined by a doctor in Sweden or something, and that's why. Yeah, it was like like a like a psychologist. Or yeah, in I didn't realize Sweden that it was like legitimately started in Sweden. Started because of a documented. super specific event in, in Stockholm. Sweden. Yeah, uh, interesting. Yeah, also very good um, work on the pronunciations. Thank you. I tried. Really you got hard. there at the end. Yeah, I think it's all the French I've been doing. Yeah. I'm yeah, we have that. been doing a lot of French. Yeah, that, it's it's like the so there's in Arabic and like I missed um, I'd missed a day today. My little Duolingo damn. app. Wow, that app. That can we talk about how fucking passive aggressive yeah. that bird is? That bird. Oh my lord! I was like, okay, I've had a busy day. All right, I haven't had time to do my French. Yeah. You want to get off my dick? That like, bird is 
terrifying. Can we talk about also how mad I am that in that app I spent a good week and a half trying to get enough gems on that fucking app to buy that (laughs) stupid owl a tuxedo. I bought him a tuxedo. I've not seen him wear it once. So he, he can't. He wears it when he wants to? I don't know. I bought him a fucking tuxedo. He never wears it. Okay. I assumed that, like, you buy, like, how in, like, um, video games, like, you buy a different yeah, costume and for your avatar and then they yeah. wear it. Yeah. He, I don't know. He's off at cocktail parties. He's left the app. He's taken your money. He's the Jake He's Paul. taken my fucking gems. A good yeah. thing it didn't cost any actual money. I know. You would have been pissed I would have been off. even more pissed yeah. off. But it took time, which... <laughs> We are short on. We are very short on. So, sorry for that rant. If you've yeah. never used Duolingo, you probably have no idea. But if you are someone who's attempting to learn a language on Duolingo, you will understand my pain of how passive-aggressive mm. that shit of a bird is. Yeah. Oh, my God. Um, well, thank you very lo- much, Laura, for your story. This is, if you're new here, this is the kind of the end of the show. We kind of ramble on a bit. We talk about different kind of things. Um, I think they got that from that my Duolingo. Exactly. <laughs> That's why I'm kind of prefacing it here so we can continue this discussion. Mm. But um, if this isn't your jam, then, you know, this is the end of the show for you. If Thank you, you to all the people who submitted uh, <laughs> last week's code word. Yes. Nickel. I got a lot of um, people submitting the code word. Tama, do you want to come up with the code word for this week? The next code word will be Sagittarius. 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 Do you know someone that's a Sagittarius? Yes. Do you actually? That's a lie. You wouldn't have a fucking clue. I don't know if they are, but I Do assume you know? I, kn- I know at least one person who's a Sagittarius. Sagittarius is actually the rarest star sign. Is it really? It actually is. Really? Mm-hmm. I'm sure there's at least someone out there who's a Sagittarius that I know. I know someone who's a Sagittarius. Who? Um, Jenna. Well, then I know someone who's a Sagittarius. But you've never met Jenna, so it doesn't count. Okay, well, dick move, bro, dick move. So for anyone listening, um, Sagittarius, I just looked it up. Its symbol is the archer. Its element is fire. Its ruling planet is Jupiter, and it is from November 22nd to December 21st. Yeah, Which I think is why why it's astrologically the rarest symbol because it is kind of that, like, holiday period when not a lot of babies are born. No. People weren't fucking months before that. Well, you'd have to be having sex in March. Who has sex oh, in March? Gross. Yeah. It's <laughs> <laughs> the worst time that's the sex. worst month. Jesus Christ. It's an in betweener season. Fuck that. Yeah, f- that's a transition season. You don't want to be having sex during that. That Eminent personalities are Nicki Minaj, Taylor Swift, Brad Pitt, and Miley Cyrus, though. So are they all Sagittarius? They're all Sagittarius. Well, then, yeah. But as we've discussed, as you've learnt, your sun sign is not necessarily the only sign you should be paying attention yeah. to. Yeah. So for those who aren't versed in astrology, there are like three of them that attribute to you. No. So there's actually like... Mm, if we're going to get nitty-gritty, there's like in the 50s, if you're talking about Jesus like Christ. where the different planetary alignments are in terms Fucking of hell. your Why are there whole, so many? Because it goes it goes off um, all of all of the, the planetary alignments. Um, I can't – I'm only just getting into like studying it. Because like wouldn't 
if you if you were just born at a specific time and a specific day, wouldn't that? Because it's also to do with your location in regards to the Earth. So where you're born also plays a part, right? Because uh, obviously it's very different, even just being northern hemisphere to southern hemisphere is obviously go. a massive difference. Right. But the uh, if you're Australian or you're American, like the 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 coordinational coordinational is that a word? No. Co- coordinates of where you're born, like all plays a part in it. Like it's very complicated. Gotcha. Which is why it annoys me when people say astrology is bullshit. Because I mean, yeah, I genuinely don't think it is. Anyway, not if you're talking about your full natal chart. So yeah. your big okay. three. We're still going on this. It's a very popular thing on TikTok. Is is called your big three, right? Which is your sun, your moon, and your ascendant or your rising. Okay. But um, there's 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 lots. There's your sun, moon, Mercury, Venus, Mars, Jupiter, Saturn, Uranus, Neptune, Pluto, Lilith, and your end node, and then your ascendant, your second sign, third sign, fourth sign, fifth sign, etc., etc., etc. And then you've got your those signs we just said, like sun, moon, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, and which house they're in. It's all very complicated. Your aspects of like the where the sun lined up with the planet, like it's it's very complicated. It uses a lot of coordinates that I don't quite understand. So I'm not even going to pretend that I know what I'm talking about. Hope you guys enjoy the episode so far. Um, <laughs> just a quick just astrology ten lesson. Rant on astrology. It actually was a three-minute rant on astrology because I'm keeping a very close eye on the time because we have trivia in nine minutes. Yeah, we should probably wrap up. Anyway, we have we have pl- look, look. You guys are important to us, but we have plans, so we're so sorry. But we're gonna have to wrap up. You know, you guys have you guys have overstayed your welcome on this podcast. Well, we've overstayed our welcome. Because it's, we're here. They're wherever they are. Yeah, but they're listening in on us. Yeah, but they can literally pause us at any time. So, technically, we've overstayed our welcome. Anyway, go make me another drink. Okay, sure. <laughs> this is um, what engagement is like. Thanks for yeah, yeah. thanks for listening, though. Um, it's really nice to be back. I think the format that we've taken on just a bit more of a less trying to be serious and just being ourselves and being a bit yeah. more chill is a lot more fun for the two of us. Yeah. And it takes a lot of pressure off us. And, of course, our cats have are all going fucking mental Mental, yeah. So you probably heard Toffee fucking whinging halfway through. They're very sooky because we're home all of the yeah. time now, so they expect us to give us attention all of the time. Yeah. Um, but if you do want to follow us again, we are the BSC podcast on all things social media. Um, I haven't posted any memes last week, but I promise I will be getting back on it this week because I know a lot of you love my meme game. Terrible. And yeah, that's it for me. Do you have anything else? Um, I love each and every one of you and Sagittarius is the code word of the episode. Uh, thank you very much. And if you are a Sagittarius... And the code word is Sagittarius. We will do something for you, something special. We'll give you a personal shout out in next week's episode. There you go. There you go. Thank you very much for the downloads last episode. We really appreciate that. Let's fucking. We'll see you next week. Let's uh, let's see you next week. Bye. Bye. Do you be?